Welcome to this episode of Profess Hers, a podcast about movies, music, history, pop culture, current events, and literature, all discussed through the perspective of women's issues and feminism. I'm Allegra, and I got married April 7th, 2018, so just over a year. So I think you're technically just barely not a newlywed anymore. Yeah, I guess so. Um, Sometimes we actually bought a house yesterday, so uh, the mortgage lady was like, ooh, newlyweds. And I was like, I guess. <laughs> like, I went to the prom with him. I've known him for 20 years, so sure. And I'm Misty, and I got married June 12th, 2009. That was a while. A little bit. Decade. Mm-hmm. Almost a child bride. <laughs> Basically, yes. Third of my life now, married. How Isn't that old, amazing? How old were you when you got married? 26. Okay. Too young. Too young. I mean, as you're, I'm sure, about to tell us, not according to historical standards. No. Yeah. And were. I was like the oldest person in my family ever to enter a first marriage. Okay. Well. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in some cultures, you were a geriatric bride. <laughs> Aw. So I have a poll for you. Okay. And you can ask me these questions, too. Okay. At your wedding. Yes. Did you wear a white dress? I did. A poofy one? Mid poof. Mid poof. So not full cupcake princess. No. But it came from a bridal store. It did. David's bridal. Okay. Did you get given away? My dad walked me down the aisle, but, but we didn't do the giveaway thing. Okay. Was the, <laughs> this question is just funny to think about. Was the word obey in your wedding vows? A hundred percent. Yes. I'm joking. No, of course it was like, not. Uh, frozen. I didn't have any response. Mike absolutely promised to obey me. Yeah. <laughs> That would make more sense. I'm so glad our husbands don't listen to this <laughs> podcast. Did you guys have the same vows? Like the officiant? We, we didn't take vows because a friend married us. So he skipped that page and he just pronounced us. <sighs> Sounds like a Jimmy Buffett wedding to me. Uh, did you do a garter toss? We did. What about a bouquet toss? Yes. Did you do like the head under no. the skirt? Okay. No, we did not. That's did he ask for your dad's permission nope. before he proposed to you? He did not propose to me. Oh, okay. This was just a full <laughs> flip-flop situation from start to finish. Got it. Did you plan more than half of your wedding? I would say my mom planned okay. more than half of my okay. wedding. Did you? So you took his last name? I hyphenated. Hyphenated. Did you get a diamond engagement ring? Yes. And you're wearing it today? I am. No one can see it but me, but you showed it. Did you have a woman-only bridal shower? I did not. Okay. Did you have a bridal shower at all? We did a, like, couples thing. Okay. Did you guys just get drunk? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, it was very nice because my parents were there. Was your wedding officiant a man or a woman? A man. Okay. Did you get married for love? Yes, married for love. As you probably know, historically, marriages have not always been about love. They have not. Did you wear a veil? I wore a thing, kind of a veil, like a ponytail clip thing, but it didn't go over my face. Okay, so you had a, a veil it down the back. It was more like decorative. Yeah. So it was your icing yes. on the cupcake, yes. but you didn't put it over your face. I did not. Okay. All right, I'm going to ask you these questions, okay? All right. Did you wear a white dress? Yes. Poofy. The poofiest. The, one, the Literally the poofiest one I could find. And I considered wearing, what are the things that you put under it that make it Oh, poofier? like a hoop? <laughs> well, not a hoop. Oh, uh, um, a petticoat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Picturing you in like this like Civil War reenactment <laughs> with a hoop skirt. Were you given away? No. Again, same thing. My dad walked me down the aisle and he actually twirled me when we got to the front because of the poofiness of the dress. He had but to there, show it off. But there was no who gives this woman to be married. Yeah. Uh, was the word obey in your vows? 
Hard no. Garter toss. No, I've adamantly refused. Bouquet. Adamantly refused again. Did he ask your dad's permission? That No, but he did ask his daughter before he proposed. That's nice. Yeah. Let's see. Did you plan more than half? Yes. <laughs> did you take his name? Yes. Did you get a diamond engagement ring? I did, but it was my grandma's. Okay. So, so reuse, recycle? Sure. Yeah. It's not like a... It's echo-friendly? It's not important sentimental <laughs> value. It's the recycling. A woman-only bridal shower? Yes. Bachelorette party? Yes. Woman-only? Yes. You were invited. I, yeah, I couldn't go. Uh, let's see. Did May- you have a bachelorette party? I didn't ask you that part. Again... I don't know. We we all went out together. And got drunk again. Okay. Yes. yes. You're seeing a theme, right? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Married by a man or a woman? Uh, a man. Also a friend. Married for love? I guess. Sure. And did you wear a veil? No. I wore a fascinator, which is like the little British hat with the half a veil thing. Yes. But it just went over my forehead. So it didn't go over my face. Yeah. So my ring was my grandmother's so she designed her own ring walked into a jeweler had it designed had it made and wore it all her the rest of her life like a wedding ring but she made it for herself wow so that's that's my engagement ring wow yeah so it was free i think recycled (laughs) is what you want to say not free just kidding it's a family heirloom so the reason the question did you get married for love is on here is because historically love was a relatively minor or not a part of the equation at all. If two married people loved each other, they fell in love long after they got married and it was more a kind of cooperative familial kind of love as opposed to a romantic, physical attraction, romantic, I'm in love, swooning kind of thing. Right. That's a very new idea. It used to be mostly about joining families, exchanging property, and doing things that benefited the bride's dad, and the groom-to-be. So that's why I asked. Okay. But all of those questions uh, refer to elements of a wedding that people now see as misogynist, sexist, or at least problematic. So, Allegra, why do we have weddings? You really put me on the spot here, Missy. (laughs) Why do we do this thing that takes up so much of your time and money. You know, don't you haven't you always felt like your life was propelling you toward graduating, going to college, graduating, getting married, having a family, getting a job? Like, don't you feel like that's just where you were propelled toward this whole time? Yes and no. But this idea of a of a wedding. Yeah. It is kind of strange when you think about it, right? It's very strange. Because you could just get married. Yeah. And in our world today, it's not like you have to get married by the church. Our marriages are state marriages. Right. I mean, you know, they're basically contracted by the state. Yeah. So it's just a very weird thing to me when I sat down and really started thinking about this, that we put so much time Mm -hmm. and money and effort into this public display of a thing. Yeah. That you don't have to do. And if you if you let it, if you're not careful, it runs away very quickly from being about you and your spouse very quickly and you get like 10 minutes of the whole day that is really you and your spouse yes unless you are super intentional and you make a plan and you tell people and then you do i mean it it is of course about public declaration of your love and commitment it is about making promises to each other or i guess in your case making no promises whatsoever <laughs> Um, it is about 
celebrating something that you think is joyous and important and sharing it with people who are important to you. But it can very easily become about the wedding itself as opposed to the the love between the two people. I just feel like people don't get very much time with the person they're marrying at their own wedding. And I feel like people do things at their wedding. I know I did. That are not what you want. But it's like, well, Aunt Sally oh, over here. I think everybody who has the wedding with their family, ends up doing at least one thing they don't want to do. So we're going to talk about all of this stuff with weddings, right? Yeah. yeah. And how to have a feminist wedding, if it's possible. It's, of course, possible. But before we can talk about that. Of course. Yay, history. I'm just going to tell you, I see the words Middle Ages here. <laughs> and you want to just roll your eyes And in. I am not very excited. Okay, so way back when in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Which, hold on, let me guess. Okay. Is this the year 1000? Basically, yes. Ooh, I knew something. We're just a little bit after that, but yes. So the wishes of the married couple, even to be together. Yeah. Really not that important. (laughs) So like, what kind of cake do you want at your wedding? Not at all important. If you're not even getting to pick your spouse, you for sure don't care about what flavor cake you're having. So who decided? The bride's dad? Well, both parents of both the couple usually decided. And I have to have a giant like asterisk by this, right? Because we're talking about middle class and above. Sure. Because if you were very, very, very poor and there's no property or goods or wealth, yeah. That really has to be negotiated. Those weddings were much more simple and were much more even maybe love matches. But also you were living in a village with like 100 people. So your love match was one of the <laughs> two available men. It's like, who's the least stinky of these yes, three people? Yes, exactly. Okay. So in 1140, we have a monk that proposes that we should at least get consent of the couple marrying before took, we marry them. It, it took us to the year 1140 before someone said, hey, let's hey wait, <laughs> before we change their lives forever, let's make sure they're cool with it. And all he said that you had to do to get consent was have a verbal agreement from the bride and groom. That's it. So it's not like a real Just ask in-depth em. conversation. You or good with this? You good with this. So at least the idea of consent was floating out there, kind of. Like affirmative consent, right? Yes. Like, Okay, that's good. And at that point, we have this idea that, hey, maybe women should be consulted in who they marry. Yeah. But again, the pressures put on women somewhat outweigh that idea of consent. Mm -hmm. Because if you know, it's either marry this person my father has chosen for me Mm -hmm. or be left with nothing and be destitute. Yeah. I'm probably going to go ahead and get married even if I don't really want to. Yeah. And we are marrying people at the age of 14 still. I take back my comment about you (laughs) you being a child bride. Right. So in the 1800s, This is the next time we're going to have a shift, a major shift in marriage. Yeah. And we're going to start to believe that the idea of romantic love is important in a marriage. Oh, I I knew this because of Jane Austen. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because of English stuff. (laughs) At least it didn't say a movie or TV show. Okay. I guess that's true. It's an academic knowledge. So- So Good. That's the 1800s. The 1800s. That people started thinking about marriage for love. And that's not to say we haven't had marriages- before that, that were love matches or that people genuinely loved each other. Sure. But that wasn't the primary concern. And the other thing is, even now, to the, to this day in the year 2019, some people feel that they have to marry people who their parents approve of. Yes. Or who are of a particular social standing or who come from a particular family or who are or are not members of particular religions. Yes. So there are still... Other concerns, forces mm-hmm. other than do you love them? Do you want to be with them forever? 
And I mean, we still have arranged marriages in this country. Sure. I mean, I went to college with a girl that had an arranged marriage. So it still happens. Yeah. It's just not the norm anymore. So we've seen a shift from that being the norm to being kind of unusual. Yeah. All right. So in the 1800s, like I said, this idea of romantic love becomes important. Mm -hmm. But so does the idea of a civil marriage. So now you're, again, being married by the state and not necessarily by your religion. Okay. So those shifts are happening at the same time. Okay. Well, that makes sense. It does. And then by the end of the 1900s, I would say love matches are the norm, probably for the Western world, at least. Yes. And continue, of course, today. You want some statistics here? <sighs> I'm, I'm afraid, but yeah, sure. So let's just talk about engagements, right? Because this is where a wedding starts. Mm-hmm. 99% of grooms do the proposing. I do want to ask you a question about your statistics. Okay. Are we talking specifically about heterosexual one-man, one-woman marriages? So these statistics are from... 2016. So my assumption would be the data's earlier than that. Yeah. So yes. Okay. And uh, I should say these are American statistics. Sure. So might be slightly different in another country. So we're talking about heterosexual uh, engagements. 99% of the time it's the groom proposing. Yes. Wow. 16% of all proposals occur in December, right around Christmas. If, if all things were equal... Right. Eight mm-hmm. eight point three percent of engagements would happen in every month. And December has double that. Double that. So that's significant. That is. Your average engagement is about fifteen months. How the long was a- yours? Average engagement was fifteen months? Mm-hmm. God. How long were you engaged? Uh from July until April. So like eight, nine months? Yeah. Yeah, that's how long mine was too. Yeah. The average diamond ring cost six thousand dollars. I just want to put this out there. Mine was free. And 13% of engagements do not end in a marriage or a wedding. Mm. And that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's good to to get that sorted out before the wedding. Yes. Yeah. Before you enter into a marriage contract. All right. As far as pre-wedding activities I go. I that you call it a contract. I mean, I know it is, but. It is the most important business decision you will ever make to get married. <sighs> All right. So average age for a first marriage. Yeah. 27.4 years for women. Okay. And 29.5 for men. And that's, again, from 2017. Now, historically... So I was a geriatric bride. You said the average age is 27? Yes. But it's been increasing every year since, like, the 1970s. It's been ticking up a little bit at a time, but still. So people are getting married later in life. Yes. And some of this has to do with women having careers. Yes. Some of it has to do with the economy that we've been in, the recession. But to compare this to 1980, 1980 for a woman, the average age was 22. God. Yes. I mean, it's really been ticking up. But go go all the way back to the 1950s and your average age of marriage for a woman was 20 years old. So yeah, women going to college, Mm -hmm. starting careers, that's all delayed it. Yeah. And I think also now there's just this idea of like you want to have a young adulthood, not just an adolescence, but like a young adulthood. Yeah, yeah. I think that's true too. And even people who don't go to college, I think still want like years of being single and having some, having a job, finding your, yeah, I think, I think that idea is appealing to a lot of people. How much do you think the average wedding costs? $10,000. I have no idea. I don't know how much my wedding costs, so. $35,000 is the average spent on an American wedding. Wow. It's a lot of money. $35,000. Of the couples that were surveyed in this data, Mm -hmm. one-fourth of them stayed within their original budget. Good for them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard. There does come a time when you're like, I got to have it. I don't care what it costs. And there also comes a time when it's like, I'm tired of looking. I'm tired of shopping around. I'm trying to 
tired of trying to find a deal. Um, and also, a lot of times, if you want things to look a specific way, uh, you think you can do it yourself and then you give up at that. Uh, at some point, you're like, this is too much work, right? So I, I totally understand from the beginning of wedding planning, thinking I'm going to find deals, I'm going to do things myself. And it becomes so emotional and stressful that at some point you're like, I'd rather spend the money than put in all of this emotional labor. Yeah. And I mean, the the economics of it is part of the reason that we are being socialized to do it. Exactly. Right. Every TV show, every Jane Austen novel, right? All romantic comedies, so many movies and TV shows and books and songs are about getting married. Well, and importantly, a lot of children's movies end with a wedding. Yeah. So, yeah, I think from a very early age. Exactly. It's only been in the last, like, 10 or 15 years that wedding venues really became a thing. Like, things, places that were exclusive to being a wedding venue. I mean, if you got married 20 years ago, it was not unheard of to get married, like, at the VFW hall. Right. Right? Or at a multi-purpose center or in a hotel ballroom. Right. The idea that something is just a wedding venue yes, is a new idea. Yes. And you got married. At a civic center. Yeah. So same yeah. thing. God. I was going to say you got married in a library. But I'm like, that's not right. There was just books on the table. So th- we got married in a civic center, the city civic center, where you go to vote. Yes. But it was designed by a famous architect, O'Neill Ford, who is local. Went, Fantastic. Went to the same college my husband and I both went to. So um, he designed a lot of buildings in Denton, actually. So it's a it's a nice-looking, interesting building. It wasn't like a gym. <laughs> Although lots of people get married in gyms. Right. Right? I mean, it's the same as a prom. If you turn the lights to a certain level and you have some decor, any room can look like a wedding venue. But the commercialization of weddings it's just a machine. Exactly. A $50 billion and a it's year machine. Self feeding. So, like, the more weddings you see, the more nice weddings you go to, the more nice weddings you hear about, the more and more pressure you feel to have a nicer and nicer wedding. And I, so, th- I think what's important before we talk about modern weddings, okay, is if we criticize something, we're criticizing the social institution or the expectation. Exactly. Not the decision to have or not have something at your own wedding. Exactly. So I'm going to say a lot of things about garter tosses and bouquet tosses. And I did both those things. (laughs) But it's really about what those signify to me personally. And also what the expectation and the history of those things are. Exactly. If if, If you personally, Misty, or anybody else thinks it's fun, I like it. It's at every wedding I've been to. I've always wanted to do it. It means something to me, whatever reason. Or it means nothing and I've never thought about it. I just want to have fun. Right. Still a valid stance. Absolutely. And I think when you said, can you have a feminist wedding? The answer is yes, of course. It's you decide what you do and you don't feel like you have to do something because it's about choice. A social standard. Yeah, it's about validating Absolutely. a choice. And you don't have to justify the choice, just like you said. If you think, I don't really know what it means, but it seems fun, that is just I want to hit my friend in the face with this bunch of flowers. <laughs> that is just as valid as any other reason. The point is that we should be making our own choices and we shouldn't feel compelled by commercialization and industry and capitalism. And we also shouldn't feel compelled by sexist social norms right. to have or not have certain things at our weddings. 
the only reason you, I mean, the only reason I wore a poofy white dress is I've seen a hundred thousand weddings with poofy white dresses and that made me want one. We want to talk about how to have a feminist wedding. Yeah. So I think we go through traditions Mm -hmm. and we fix them. (laughs) So where do you want to start? So, I mean, a lot of these traditions that we, that I pulled you about are historically not at all feminist, right? Yes. Historically misogynist or sexist. So the idea of wearing a white dress is associated both with the woman's purity. Yes. Right? And her virtue. Her virtue. But also with a, as a display of wealth, right? Because white fabrics are were at least harder to come by. And of course, keeping something clean, a kind of a class issue. So the white wedding dress is going to be popularized by Queen Victoria. And she's one of the... Of course, f- British royalty. Yes. She's one of the first women that wears the white dress. Mm-hmm. And you're right that part of the reason people didn't do that before is it's hard to keep clean. Mm-hmm. It's expensive to purchase nice fabric. And it shows flaws. Exactly. Yeah. So most brides just wore whatever their best outfit was before that happened. And when was that? Queen Victoria gets married in 1840. Okay, so, so that's where we get the white dress. That's where we get the elaborate dress. So the beading, the lace, all of those things are... And a dress she wore specifically for that occasion that she was never going to wear again. Never going to wear again. All of those things are signs of wealth and prosperity. All of those things are symbols of virtue. But also, it's just something that we've been doing because we've been doing it. Right. Right. And so absolutely. even now, right, even knowing all of the things I know about historical context and what it all means, if somebody was going to have a wedding and invited me and I showed up and they were wearing a blue dress, I feel like I would think it was weird. Yeah, because it's outside of your cultural script. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, that shows a certain level of social class, right? Yeah. That I have the afford, I have the ability to afford to spend money on kind of a useless piece of clothing. Yeah. I did the math and I figured out what it was going to cost me per hour to wear that dress. Did that, you're starting to veer into like, <laughs> like dork territory here. I just could not justify spending money on something I wasn't going to wear longer than 12 hours. But, all right. So getting given away. Okay. I don't know the history of it, but here's my perception, right? So somebody says, who gives this woman to be married? Yes. Number one, that reeks of needing permission, even though you're an adult. And number two, it seems like you go from being the property or under the mastery of one dude to another. The paternal protection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't like either of those ideas. And historically, you are exactly right. So they're dependent. Oh, because they couldn't own property. They can't own property. They They can't can't vote. They can't engage in contracts. So this isn't a person of their own free will with autonomy. It is being passed from one person to another person as part of a household. And these are not ancient ideas. I mean, even in the 1970s, it was kind of unheard of for even a a married woman to have her own checkbook or her own credit card. Yeah, in some states, married women couldn't rent apartments. So you literally are going from the protection of one male to another male. No, I know a lot of people do this at their wedding still. And I mean, mostly because it's their dad's way of saying like I support and endorse and I'm excited and I'm here to give right it means something different personally but historically it means I'm literally giving you yes yeah so that's a tradition that is steeped in sexism but I think for a lot of fathers they want to be able to walk their daughter down the aisle oh yeah to participate in the wedding to in to support and celebrate the wedding so again if you want to do it yeah do it 
Although I cannot endorse having the word obey in a wedding vow. Oh, let's talk about vows. And traditionally, the woman's vows included one line that the man's did not, which was honor and obey. Right. And theirs were honor and cherish, right? Yes. But of course, I mean, if that if that had been in my wedding vows, it would have been for comedic effect. I this just, is fun. So I unless have- it's in everybody's vows, unless we're all obeying each other. And again, I think... Some of these traditions get weaker and less frequent with time. And I think a lot of these traditions also get weaker and less frequent because now we don't have only heterosexual marriages. Yes. So obviously traditions and vows are going to change. I think the word obey is probably a Christian idea. I'm not sure if that is restricted to one religion. So uh, the traditional vows, just so we're all on the same page, would be I, bride, Mm -hmm. take thee, groom. To be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, to love, cherish, and to obey till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance. And hereto I give thee my troth. So yeah, nobody talks like that. What's the traditional vows for a dude? Uh, basically the same thing, only it's to love and cherish. So we admit the obey. And I have seen vows that had love, cherish, and protect. That's kind of gross to me. Also. Yeah. I think this is one that overall is kind of out of fashion. I've heard it recently. Have you really? Oh, yeah. I almost left. This is the only one where I would stake a hard stance That's and say, what I'm please saying. don't do this. This is the one I can't. Yeah. <sighs> a, the idea that in a marriage, one person is obeying another is to me unfathomable. So the other thing about the word obey uh-huh. is, as you know, it's a very traditional yes. word in wedding vows. And... In 1981, Princess Diana didn't include the word obey in her wedding vows. Ooh, scandalous. And it was actually like headline making news. I could see that. That her wedding vows, uh, she promised to love him, comfort him, honor, and keep him. So she took that word out and it was a big deal because, of course, that's a very traditional space the British royal family. And so I think that's part of the conversation moving forward in terms of wedding ceremonies. And uh, and it's British royalty. Yeah. So we copy them. <laughs> and and since then, right, Kate Middleton, Meghan Markle, they didn't have the word obey in their wedding vows either. I didn't know any of that. You didn't. I didn't. See, look at me. I'm teaching you history. We fought a war not to have to know about that. I also think it's more kind of in vogue right now that you write your own vows. You write your own, so I say something, he says something, and then the officiant has vows as well. Yeah. So there's all combinations there. Well, I want to talk to you about the garter toss. Okay. Tell me about the garter toss and why you hate it. What is it? What is the historical significance of a garter toss? Oh, okay. So you're going to hate this so much. I'm sure I am. Being married was not enough. The marriage also has to be consummated. Sure. So very, very, very early on, the tradition of a garter toss comes from checking the stockings of the bride following the first night being married. And the stockings should be slightly bloodied because the bride should have been a virgin and we should have consummated the marriage that night. So the next day, sometimes even just later that night, people are waiting. Sometimes outside the door. For the garter. For the stockings, yes. Oh my God. Yes. And you did this at your wedding? Yes. Because to me, even though I know the historical context of it, it was just kind of a fun game. I think it depends on how you do it. Well, when Some people make it creepy. Yeah, when the man disappears up underneath the dress. Yeah, we didn't do that. That's that. That's weird. 
now what happens at weddings if people have a garter toss, right? The man takes it off. A woman's wearing a garter. Dude takes it off of you and what, like, flings it into the crowd? So it's the same thing as the bouquet toss. It's single men. Okay. And then they catch it. And then what do they do with it? Um, In our case, the guy that caught the garter and the girl that caught the bouquet, we then had them have a dance together. Okay. Did they... Did they get married? Was it a love match? It, you know, it's funny. They both got married on the same weekend, exactly two years after we got married, mm-hmm. but not to each not other. Not to each other. But yeah, same weekend. We didn't do that at my wedding. Obviously. Because, Because it's, I could see where some people would think it's weird and creepy. But if you, I mean, again, you just like, oh, it's fun. Let's do it. Okay, cool. So the bouquet thing to me was the most, was like I put my foot down. I refused adamantly to throw a bouquet. Okay, tell me why. Because, so what am I doing? Like I'm throwing, only single women can stand up, right, to catch it. And then we're fighting over who gets to get married next. I don't know. It just seems to emphasize this notion that there's something wrong with you if you're not married and that all women are like desperate to get married. I've never liked it the bouquet toss and I've always thought it was weird and I refused to do it and everyone the whole night was like when are you gonna toss your bouquet and I was like I'm not <laughs> <laughs> there, there's several reasons in the beginning we have bouquets in the first place like prosperity all that fertility yeah um, there was also this idea of the scent of flowers would ward off evil spirits oh yeah all the evil spirits that come to a wedding that I are forgot. trying to get the bride because yeah. a lot of these things are about evil spirits trying to get the bride I got it yeah yes okay so, but then you share it, right? The, the tradition for the bouquet toss, at least the modern tr- version of it, is all the single women or female attendees stand up in a group and the bride throws it over her back. And then the idea is the person who catches it is the next person to get married. Yes. I have several problems with this. Okay, go for it. Number one. At what age does it become appropriate for a person to join that? Because I've been to weddings where like eight-year-old girls were part of the... Ooh, I caught one when I was like seven. Right? So that's weird. But then can you can't just tell children, no, you can't participate, and then explain to them why, and then, I mean, right? So also, I just, I don't like the idea of... It's for women. Only women can catch it. I don't I know. I was going to ask you it about that. It seems very heteronormative to me. Okay, so what if it was mixed gendered? How would you feel about that? All the single people get up here. But they, but, but because of the tradition, the most male attendees wouldn't do it. Would they? I don't know. I don't know either. I think if you start slowly changing that cultural narrative, I think if it's competitive, men are going to do it. So if there's a cash prize. Yeah. And the other thing is, I don't think that we should say, I got married, so now someone else has to get married. Like, I don't want to reinforce the idea that the norm is to get married. Right. If it's what you want, it's awesome. But I don't want to reinforce the idea that if you're single, then that means you're looking to get married, you need to get married, you should get married, why aren't you married yet? I feel like all of those ideas are connected to a bouquet toss. No, okay. I will say this. I think a bouquet toss can be fun. Well, sure. I mean, throwing and catching and all that's fun. But I've also been to weddings where there's like only two single women. Yeah. And then it's a little awkward. Right. So I think like judge your crowd 
Because you don't want anybody to feel put on the spot or have to do and something then they don't want to do. what if you don't want to? What if you are a single person and you have no interest in getting married and you're sitting at a wedding enjoying your lovely cocktail and it's time for the bouquet toss and then everyone's like, you got to get up there. You're not married yet. I mean, I feel like it's very I went to a old. wedding once where there was only one single woman and the bride just handed her the bouquet. See, that's weird. That was a little weird. But again, like, know your crowd, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm going to say, you know, a lot of the things that we think of as being associated with a wedding, a lot of people do because their parents did it or they've always seen it or it's always seemed fun. And you don't have to interrogate the historical significance of something before you do or don't do You probably do it at your should wedding. not do that yeah. if you want to keep doing things. <laughs> I have to tell you one more thing about the toss. Yeah. So another reason we did the toss a long time ago mm-hmm. was that to get anything from the bride was considered good luck. Okay. So there was a tradition at one point where people would try to rip clothing off the bride, keep little fabrics as good luck. Oh. So tossing the bouquet was kind of like a way to here take this stop taking my clothes exactly off of me. exactly because okay. it was considered good luck to be given or to own something that a recent bride had interesting yeah let's talk about taking a spouse's name why did you take your husband's last name so i'm, I'm gonna be really really honest right now yeah there are some people in my family that do not know my name is hyphenated because they would be horribly offended by that. So they think your last name is your maiden name or they think your last name is your husband's they last name? They think my last name is my husband's name. Okay. Because they just could not deal with the fact if it was hyphenated. Yeah. To me, it was really, really important that I kept part of my maiden name. That wasn't my question. My question was, why did you take? And it was important to me to also take part of my husband's name. And some of this is practical. I mean, because it's me. <laughs> I want that in my name because it's easier when we are doing insurance it's easier now that we have a child. Sure. And I think also hyphenating is like a, I mean, it is a class issue also, and it's a social standing issue mm-hmm. because it signals to something to people in the professional world, right? I think having a hyphenated name does have like a political stance to it. Like it signals a little bit of my political leanings and my views on feminism. Wouldn't keeping your maiden name? I think that also does the same thing. But how would I know if it's somebody's maiden name? I mean, it's, it's it's related to the conversation about prefixes, right? Whether you use miss or missus. Exactly. I still don't use missus. I, I don't use missus. I will never in my life use missus. The way you address a person should not change. When they get married? Because they're married. Because now they're proper and they deserve a little more respect. Do you ever get mail addressed to missus your husband's name? You know, it's really funny. And I don't know why this happens. But he gets mail addressed to Mr. My Maiden Name. <laughs> And he's never changed his name, so I don't know what happened there. <laughs> now, I will say that that's a conversation that I know a lot of couples have. I mean, my husband didn't care one way or another. Really? Because yeah. I feel like most men care. So my husband didn't grow up with his dad. So I don't think his last name has that much. And his mom has a different last name. Yeah. So I don't think it has any emotional significance to him if I took it or not. It's also really hard to spell. But it anyway. is. It is. Maybe he. Maybe I should have offered to let him take my name, because it's way easier to spell. So general social expectations, like you were saying, 
for when you see a person's name are changing because number one, lots of women are hyphenating or not taking their husband's last name. The other thing is, right, so now we don't just have heterosexual marriage anymore, Mm -hmm. which means that some gay and lesbian couples do the same thing straight couples do, which is they decide one of the two last names is their last name and they're both going to have it. Or both of the last names belong to both of the people and they both hyphenate. Uh, I will say that I know some uh, straight couples who both hyphenated their last name. So the man changed his last name to be hyphenated as well. So they they have matching last names. They both have both last names. But those are, like you said, conversations that people have to have. The general, I think, default expectation is that a woman changes her last name when she gets married to match her husband's. And some women find creative approaches to... Meeting that expectation, because like you said, it is important as a family unit to all share the last name, but to not surrender necessarily their identity. I think for a lot of people, it's like very hard to say, this has always been my name and I'm just going to get rid of it. Right. And I think, again, that's an individual choice, right? Because there are some people who maybe had a bad home life or not a great connection to their family. They want to change their name. Great. Go for it. Yeah. You also, I Can know. I, can I just tell you in Grey's Anatomy um, that that happens? She says, like, I've never, she had a terrible. I think we've gone three episodes now without you mentioning Shut it. Up. So we were on a streak. She has like a terrible background story and a horrible home life and all of those things. And so when she gets married, she says, I've never shared a last name with someone who I loved. So as soon as she got married, she wanted to change her last name. And I also know now that people are sometimes taking pieces of names and combining them into a new name. So that's a thing that happens? I can't personally endorse that. (laughs) But I know it happens. At some point, it's – so you have to get – at least in Texas, right, you have to have a judge's approval to change your name. Uh, A marriage license suffices as long as you're changing it to include your spouse's last name. But I think if you're going to make up some kind of new – yeah, you have. There's a whole Port process. Manteau, then you have to do that. But some women get rid of their middle name and make their yes. maiden name their middle name, or they add a new middle or they name. They have two middle names, or they have two last names with no hyphen, which is what I have. So another consideration here, which by the way, everyone in my family hates. Both sides. Every, oh, really? Everyone hates Why? it. Why? They all hate it because they want it to be what hyphenated or not hyphenated, or <laughs> they just some. My parents are like, what is this? What part of your name is what now? Why do you have four names? You know, my husband's family is like, so you didn't really change your last name to this? And I'm like, it is my last name. It's, I mean, it's what Hillary Clinton did, mm-hmm. right? So she's, her last name is Clinton. That is her last name. My last name is my married last name, but my maiden name is still part of my name. And right. so is hers. So she has four names also. It's not like I want to be like Hillary Clinton. But that's the best way I could. Harriet Beecher Stowe also did the same thing. So it's not hyphenated. Right. And in case anyone was wondering, when alphabetizing, if it's hyphenated, you start with the first letter. Start with the first letter. If it's not hyphenated, you start with the first letter of the very last word. Another thing I want to talk about when, it, when we talk about feminist weddings, okay. feminist approaches to weddings, is surprise public engagements. Are I probably hate more than garter tosses. What? Really? I hate them. Okay, tell me why. It's not something that a woman knows is coming, but a public engagement basically 
puts a woman in a position where she has to say yes or look evil. Because the crowd's going to be on his side. Exactly. Okay. Because everyone is watching and hoping and ready to cheer. So if it's strangers at a baseball game. Okay. Right? You either say yes. Okay. Or people throw things at you. Okay. Right? Yeah. Or if it's a public engagement, like, I've brought all your friends and family here. And if it's not something that you knew was going to happen and it has been just, you mean, most people have discussions about getting married before an actual proposal happens. But if it's a surprise public, then it's like, oh, I was planning to break up with you tomorrow. But now you're proposing to me in front of all of our family. Right. I feel like that is all about making a spectacle for him without a consideration of how it makes a woman feel. And I think the expectation is, oh, women love that. Because I think there are some people that, if they didn't have a public proposal like that, would be, like, devastated and heartbroken. Well, if you've said, I want that. If you've said, I've okay. always wanted that. Because yes. some people say, I've always wanted this big, grandiose, public proposal. I've always wanted my family there when someone proposed to me. I've always wanted some great story. And, and... We have had conversations about getting married. Right. Then it's beautiful and romantic. So when someone proposes in public, I don't automatically just like boo. <laughs> but I will say I know, personally know people who have been put into very uncomfortable positions. I also personally know people who are very excited and love that they got a public proposal. But I think you have to have the foreknowledge that number one, she would be into that. And exactly. number two, she wants to marry you. Because right. the other thing is, contrary to what some people might think, not all women like to be spectacles or part of a spectacle. Oh, I would have hated it. A lot of people don't want everyone staring at them. Right. So even if they do want to marry you, they don't want to be proposed to in public. Yes. I want to talk to you about a pre-wedding thing. Okay. That I think can be viewed as sexist, but actually has really feminist origins. Okay. You have a good story. I have for a us. good story. Okay. Bridal showers. Mm-hmm. So I think bridal showers, especially traditional, they're so awkward. Old style ones can be very awkward. And I think a lot of people think like, oh, this is this has to be a sexist tradition, right? Because I don't want to be here. And it's all women. Yes. And men don't do it. Yes. So it seems kind of sexist. But the thing is, it's not. Okay. So in the 1500s, this tradition begins in Holland and it starts as a way for poor brides who don't have dowries, mm -hmm. or brides who are marrying outside of their family's approval to be gifted things by their friends and be ready for their married life. Oh, okay. So there's a story about how it starts, which may or may not be true, but this is the legend that goes with it. Mm -hmm. There is a woman who her father has contracted for her to marry a wealthy pig farmer. She doesn't want to marry the pig farmer. She wants to marry somebody who's poor, I think also a farmer. And so his father wouldn't give her the dowry. And so her friends I got see. together okay. and they... Gave her enough that it was a dowry, and then she could get married to the person she chose. That's I like that story. Um, when we get to the Victorian era, is where we start to call it a shower. Now this is this is less great, but they would buy little trinkets and gifts for a bride. Yeah, and they would put it in a parasol. In oh, really? And they would literally open it over the bride. So they would shower her literally with gifts, but she's getting hit in the head with things. So I'm glad we don't do that anymore. The Victorians were weird, man. They were very, very weird. 
I know like in some churches they do poundings for a shower. So a that pound- has to be different than what it sounds like. Uh, a pounding is where you would bring a pound of something you would need. So a pound of sugar, a pound of flour. Oh. You're basically stocking their future kitchen. That is different than what it sounds like. Yeah, we're not beating the bride. Well, I don't know. <laughs> so you there just... can be different takes on this tradition. Sure. But it's basically trying to get the bride ready for being a wife. But there isn't any special conversation or ritual that has to do with... I mean, because the reason you want your mom and your grandma there is maybe to help you prepare to get married, right? Right. Or your friends who are married or your aunts. But that's not really what happens. So at mine, you know, my husband used to be a chef. Yeah. So he basically did our registry because I don't know. Sure. So we were opening. You're like, I don't know, 200 pair of Old Navy flip flops and a (laughs) bottle of rum. Sounds good. So we were opening gifts. I'm like, look, it's a thing. He's like, that's Pyrex. And he was so excited. I'm like, what is this I did get a lot of Pyrex when I got married. Apparently it's a big deal. Yeah. I threw one out one time and he got kind of mad. You threw away a Pyrex? I didn't want to clean it, so I just threw it away. So I think like if you do it the right way, it can be about that. Yeah, but it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's it, people hate them. You invite people to a wedding shower knowing that everyone who comes is going to hate it, right? Is it just me? Does everybody really love them and I'm just like a Grinch about it? Am I just like the wedding shower Grinch? Maybe you just haven't been to nice ones. I've been to very nice ones. I and don't I've know. been to ones that were in a bar. They're just all boring. <laughs> I hate them. I think you're going to stop getting invites to them. That's fine. Very soon That's after this fine. goes out. They're awful. If we're going to talk about a feminist wedding. Okay. The biggest thing we have to talk about is planning the wedding. The emotional labor of the wedding. And this is going to remind me of our one of our Christmas episodes. Yes. So a few pieces of advice, I guess. The first is you hold on to what is meaningful to you. And you find a way to let go of things that you feel like you have to do because of Pinterest or because of other weddings you've been to or because of your mom or your aunt or your grandma or whatever and their expectations. I think the other thing is you have to have conversations with your family members and with your spouse or your future spouse about wedding planning and preparation. I think another reason that women end up with more of the emotional labor is we've been talking about the social script. Mm -hmm. Um, We always talk about it. He's like, oh, it's her day. But again, let's say we assign jobs. Whose job is it to make sure people are doing their jobs? That's a good point. Yours. (laughs) And you shouldn't be responsible for 90% of the actual labor or the emotional labor. And I imagine a person listening and saying, sure, but if I don't do it, no one will. Because I can say to my husband or my future husband, right? Like (laughs) we are both going to the invitation store to pick out the design, but I still have to make the appointment because if I don't, no one will. I can see that. And I still have to say, okay, it's time to go because if I don't, no one will. So even if I say, well, you have to come with me and then I'm just making you look at three different colors of paper that you don't care about. Right. So how do you reconcile that first part? How do you say, I'm just imagining myself. Yeah. I literally did not care what the invitations look like. But somebody has to make them. I mean, otherwise no one's getting invited. Right. So, so you can both say, I don't care what they look like. It still has to get done. Yeah. Who's going to do it? 
Well, in my case, my mom. Yeah. Because <laughs> she cared a lot. Well, and in my case, I mean, in my case, my one of my bridesmaids had the calendar and the schedule and said it has to be done by this date and would text me and be like, do we have these things yet? So I think that's another solution is to outsource some of this yeah. outside of you. Which is why people hire wedding say, planners too. And if you can't afford to hire a wedding planner to say, can you be in charge, friend, bridesmaid, maid of honor, sister, that is aunt, still putting it on women. Brother, uncle, can you be in charge of making sure that we are on schedule? Can you be in charge of making sure we have cleanup? We have to share these things maybe outside of the two people. Yeah, and I, I think it is a little insulting to men to think that they don't care at all. Oh, they definitely care. Because I think that that like, cultural stereotype of the groom just wants to show up on the day. Yeah. And he's not even that happy about that. Yeah. I think that is not true. Oh, all of it. And all of the all of the wedding imagery where the woman is dragging oh, the, the man. the cake toppers. I hate cake, cake toppers. toppers where, or even people take wedding photos. Yeah. Right? Where she's dragging him or the groomsmen are dragging him in. And all of that is just, to me, insulting. Um, and not funny. And not funny and sexist. But also I think it is kind of insulting to men because if men are excited about weddings, men are excited about marriage, you should be planning a wedding that both spouses or both people getting married are excited about. Right. So if your wedding details are all things only the bride cares about, I think you're kind of doing it wrong. We had at my wedding things that were important to me and we had things that were important to my husband. A lot of our decorations were related to things that he likes. And a lot of the decorations were related to things that I like. He cared, he helped, but also it wasn't about me. It was about us. Exactly. So I found this article called Responsibilities for the Groom when Wedding Planning. Okay. From... And this is Inside Weddings. So the subtitle of this article, mm -hmm. what he needs to do besides show up on time. And I really hate this approach to it because it's so insulting. It's just treating men like they're children that can't do anything on their own. So in their list of things he can do, help with the guest list. Well, he has to do that. He has to do that. That's not something he can do. That's something he must do. He gets to choose his own best man. And groomsmen. Way to go. Select wedding attire for himself and groomsmen. This is my favorite. Get his travel documents. This is so insulting. It's almost like they're saying he's not capable of more. Purchase the bride's wedding band and give both rings to the best man for the ceremony. That takes about 20 minutes. Uh, transportation for the wedding party from the ceremony to the reception. That is random. <laughs> uh, make decisions and offer opinions when asked That's, by the bride. Yes, which, when asked. Which goes back to the idea that you're helping, but... It's really hurting. I'm the driving force. Exactly. If following tradition, the groom's family will host the rehearsal dinner, which means he should help pick the location and send out invitations. Pick out and give gifts to the groomsmen. I assume that's just like a bottle of liquor. <laughs> Offer a simple toast to, to express gratitude at the reception. Assist the bride with thank you note. Assist the bride with thank you note. What does that mean? Sign your name? Maybe it just means give her, again, the list of addresses. Because I really feel like they don't think he's capable of signing his name. So, again, this is 
problematic as most things related to gender roles are. This is problematic for both sides, right? Yes. It's insulting to men. The other is it's insulting to women that you have to be responsible for everything. And when we talk about emotional labor, I mean, to say assist her with, meaning she has to come up with it. She has to ask the question. She has to say it's getting done. She has to drive it from step to step and inquire with you. And that's the part, like if asked, give an opinion. That's saying your opinion is not valuable. Right. I'll ask when I need it. And so if you're going to have a theme at your wedding, who decides? It should be both of you. Exactly. I mean, at my wedding, right, we had like a very interesting decoration scheme, but it was very personal to both of us, right? So it had things that he loved and things that I loved. He was wearing Converse, everyone was. Things that he liked and enjoyed and wanted to do were part of the wedding. They're all wearing comic book character bow ties with their tuxedos that he chose. And they have little Lego men in their corsages. Those are things that he likes, right? right? So they're part of the wedding. That happened because basically two days after we got engaged, I said, what kind of wedding do you want to have? What kinds of things do you want there to be? And if it was important to you, then you do the emotional labor of making sure it happens. So sometimes he would be picking things out and he'd ask my opinion, believe it or not. Well, that's crazy. (laughs) I think the other thing that's different now um, that we don't have very much research on because it's relatively recent is we now have lots of weddings that don't have a bride and a groom. That's true. We have a lot of weddings that have two women who get married or two men who get married or two gender non right we have all we don't all not all weddings are a man and a woman right and so the research is going to be different in a few years when we can go back starting when you know all marriages became legal it's all going to be different i don't even know how the researchers are going to adjust their methods but right now the research says that women do most of the wedding planning and about 30% of it is done by men so i I like that you brought up our Christmas episode because that's a question I've been having with this. Do you think it's that women want to do the majority of the planning or do you feel like women have this social pressure on them to do the majority of the planning or do men just not care? (laughs) I think so. I think there are things that men don't care about. I think there are things that men. What did you care about the most? What was your one thing you cared about the most? The centerpieces and my dress. I was just about the cake. That was the only thing I cared about very strongly. <laughs> but we had, I mean, we had a different centerpiece on every table. And I mean, they were. No, yours is very elaborate. They were very specific to us. Yes. Because we've known each other for 18 years. So that was important to me, but because I felt like they were telling a story. Yeah. There were things that my husband really cared about and he organized those details. So all of the things in our wedding that were related to comic books, he sorted out those details because they mattered to him. And it wasn't like, oh, that's you care about that, so you do it. But it was like, that's an easy way to divide the tasks because that's something that's really important to you. But I know a lot of people who, who feel like their wedding has to be a certain way because of social pressure. Yes. And because the women are the ones feeling that social pressure, they are the ones who take on these enormous tasks of perfect decor and perfect cake and things that are worthy of, you know, being taken, being photographed and, you know, being shown to everyone. So I think there is a great deal of the same kind of pressure that people feel day to day as a result of social media and as a result of Pinterest 
And I think men aren't immune to it, but they don't get those me- they don't get that messaging the same way that we do. So I think that's part of it. I think part of it is that moms are very into weddings. Yes, I can see that. And so moms traditionally I mean, it was both my mom and my mother-in-law who helped, but they help the same way kids help you cook. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like they just throw ideas at you and they say, we should do this. And then it's like, okay, the, I'll do that. So I think that's part of it too. I think moms are more into weddings than anybody. <laughs> I could see that. Maybe. I guess it depends on the mom, of course. Well, and I think you're kind of given the script very early on in your life that you're supposed to care a whole lot. Yeah. And if you don't care, it's okay. It doesn't mean you're weird or abnormal. I mean, it's just one day. You can care as much as you want to care. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, you still got to be married to that person. So do you want to tell us about how um, weddings play into literature? So basically every Jane Austen novel ends with a wedding. And you know I love that. (laughs) It's my favorite thing. It's better than it sounds. So the protagonist of her, you know, in each of her books is a woman, female character. And the story is really driven by a woman fighting some kind of social pressure or external pressure from her family, from society, from expectations. And in every case, the female protagonist decides what she wants and gets married to the person she wants to get married to. And that is a person who treats her with kindness and respect. So, yes, it is kind of the same basic formula that most romantic comedies are going to follow. And, yes, most romantic comedies you could probably relate very closely to a Jane Austen book. But it was a pretty positive message for women overall to stop being beholden to what your parents or society want for you and to make some decisions for yourself even if it makes you seem like an outcast or a rebel. That's not horrible. (laughs) I just don't love ending on a wedding. Well, you don't love it now because it's... Yeah, when Jane Austen did it, it was probably not such a trope. Exactly. That's probably true. Are are you familiar with Great Expectations? I hate this book so much. But go tell me about it. (laughs) Tell me about this. So you know who Miss Havisham is? Yes. Okay. So on her wedding day... She gets a letter from the person she's going to marry, and it turns out that he has defrauded her and isn't showing up. She's jilted. Yes. The original, I don't know if she's original, but this is like the ultimate jilted woman, yes. So what happens in the book is time basically freezes for her. Her life stops, and she spends the rest of her days wearing her wedding dress and For some reason, she only has one shoe. I can't remember why. And she leaves the wedding cake on the table uneaten for like years. And she has all the clocks stopped at the moment that she received the letter. So like literally her life stops. Her life freezes in many ways. Because if you can't be a wife, what other kind of life is there? Exactly. This is why and, I hate this book. Well, I don't think the book was in favor. Well, I know that, but go ahead. I think the book is very clearly illustrating the negative impacts of these social expectations. The way that a wedding, in one way or another, whether it happens or it doesn't, that a wedding is supposed to basically stop your life. It completely changes your life. Right. So like you, as a single woman, your life has stopped. You are now Mrs. Whoever 
or you are jilted old maid. And nobody else wants you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'd also want to talk to you about, do you like that book? Like, honestly, do you yeah. like, oh, man. What is your problem? I, I just hate that book. Go ahead. <sighs> so there are some great weddings uh, in pop culture, TV and movies. Are you familiar with TV and movies? <laughs> I own a TV. Okay. So Crazy Rich Asian. I just mentioned Friends. And so she has like wedding planning fever and she has the big binder and she has Monica, all these, you said. Yeah, Monica. And she has all these dreams. And there's like a there's a scene where she like literally gets into a physical fight with another bride over a wedding dress. Okay. But in the end, she decides we only have this much money and I want a marriage more than a wedding. And so they dial back the wedding planning considerably. As a result, of an honest conversation between the two people who are getting married. They talk about money. They talk about expectations. They talk about their future. They have this honest conversation. And then they say, let's change course a little bit to have a happier life together. So I think that's a pretty good positive representation. Phoebe's wedding, like literally everything goes wrong. Like there's a blizzard. No one can come. The food's not there. It's just her friends and the, a dog I think is involved. I could not tell you. Um, but like everything goes wrong in terms of the the big expectations, right? The food and the music and the venue and the all of the fancy details go wrong. But then the wedding ends up being perfect because it gets to be about the two people who are getting married. And it becomes like a very small, intimate wedding. And I think that's also giving us a positive message about what's important in a wedding versus what you thought was important. Right. Can I tell you about my favorite pop culture wedding? No. I'm not done with Friends. Oh, there's Jesus. Also, there's more? There's also a lesbian wedding on Friends. Oh, um, Carol, okay. yeah. Carol and Susan. That's um, Ross's ex-wife? Yes. Ooh, I knew something. You did. So, unfortunately, it's the only wedding on Friends that doesn't show a kiss. Okay. Which is problematic. Yeah. But there were 31 million people in 1996 watching two women get married. So for the time. Yes. Just having the wedding. Yes. Was groundbreaking. It was. It was disappointing still that we can't show them getting ki- that we can't show them kissing. But yes. Uh, and then Cam and Mitchell got married on Modern Family. Oh, okay. Yes. And so this was after gay marriage became legal. So it was kind of a televised so I remember reading an article about that when it happened. Yeah. And the writer of the article was so offended, not by the gay marriage. Yeah. But that they had a child in the wedding that um, cursed. Yeah. And they had bleeped it out. And the um, writer of the article was so mad that this little actress girl had to say a curse word. But really, she said fudge. Yeah. But that was what the part that offended them. And I thought, you know what? That's progress. That's great. <laughs> Good for us. We're moving forward. So that was nice because it was a it was a gay marriage on TV after that was legal. And so it wasn't in one of the few states that legalized right. it ahead of time. And it wasn't a civil union ceremony. It was a wedding. And it, so it kind of got to celebrate that. And did you watch Scrubs? No. You didn't watch Scrubs? I don't even know anything about Scrubs. So Carla and Turk got married on Scrubs. And it was – I cannot believe that you didn't watch Scrubs. I'm sorry. I don't even know who Carla and Turk are. They're characters on a TV show called Thank Scrubs. You. Thank you. Anyway, 
So they were a great couple because they were they would get into like realistic arguments and they would have to have realistic compromises and they sometimes would get so mad at each other they couldn't talk to each other for a day and they had to talk about it with their friends and they showed really that like actual successful relationships require work and effort it's not it, it's not like happily ever after no problems ever. No, it's a constant ongoing ongoing. You have to basically wake up every day and say, I'm going to decide to be married to this person. Also, it, they were it was in the early 2000s, I think. And so it was very fashionable. Nice. I mean, now I think if I looked at it, I'd be it like, what be- are they wearing? But at the time, I was like, wow, that's like they look great. So um, those are some what is your fit? You're dying to tell me. I am. So the office. Yeah. They did a fantastic job with two weddings. Okay. So first off, Pam and Jim. I hated their wedding. This is what I loved about it. In the season leading up to the wedding, Mm -hmm. they talked about wedding planning. Yeah. They talked about the expense of the wedding. They talked about Uh, making choices. That's true. That's true. And those are real discussions people have. Yeah. And most television shows don't show you that. Mm -hmm. It's just like this magical, beautiful $50,000 wedding happens. Right. But how how did that happen? Right. And the other wedding that but I... But I hate the episode of their actual wedding. Yeah, I have no opinions about that. <laughs> I just... I feel like it's overly romanticized. And I don't like the flash mob. Yeah, the dance... Well, it's like that thing was a viral thing right yes. then. Yes. I don't like that. And then the other wedding that I really like is Dwight and Angela's. I don't even remember their wedding. It was the very last episode okay. of the show. Yeah. And the reason I love it so much is because they had made all these one-off jokes throughout the whole series mm-hmm. about the Shroots. And one of them was the Shroots get married standing in their own graves to show that death is the only way out. <laughs> and did they really? They got married God, standing in their I own graves. I don't remember that at all. And they had made it a point. So everyone who was special to them was at the wedding. Yeah. And it really was a focus on the community surrounding them. Mm-hmm. So I really thought that was well done. And it was not this flashy over-the-top wedding it looked like a wedding you might actually go to and see i also liked phyllis's wedding oh yeah well, she stole all of pam she stole all of pam's ideas right but it was it's nice because they're older right they're not necessarily traditionally beautiful people right and they had this cute little ma- but also the joke of like because pam was going to get married to that other guy and then yeah. phyllis stole all of her ideas that was very funny but yeah i like that wedding too on the office so I think in general, the office did good jobs with weddings. Pop culture references Look over at me. here. Yeah. Ooh. I do want to recommend a book to you. Okay. So there's a TV show that um, you have never seen, which is fine. It's called Adam Ruins Everything. I've seen that. Okay. And he also has a podcast. I listen to the podcast. And so he had an episode called Adam Ruins Weddings, which is Ooh. which is where I learned about the white sugar and the cakes and the white dresses and the display of wealth. It's a very good episode. One thing that is compelling about the show Adam Ruins Everything is that he cites all of his sources. Yes. And if you go to his website or the show's website, it will list all of the sources and you can find them. So the book I'm recommending, I haven't read, which I typically wouldn't do, but it was cited multiple times in his episode about weddings, and it's by a female historian. So I thought I would recommend it. You're supposed to make some type of noise when I said female historian. (gasps) Yay! There we go. Thank you. It's called Marriage, a History, How Love Conquered Marriage. Oh, okay. It was published in 2006. 
So it takes us from marriage as a way to exchange a woman as property to marriage as being something that is for love and capitalism. So it's called Marriage, A History, How Love Conquered Marriage, and it's by female historian and marriage expert Stephanie Kuntz. Is it true that best men were selected for their strength so that if somebody wanted to stop the wedding and steal the bride, the best man could beat the ba- beat them back? In Anglo-Saxon weddings, yes. And is it true that a veil over the face is to keep ghosts from interfering with your wedding? So there's two reasons for the veil. One is because evil spirits might try to attack the bride. Mm-hmm. So she's wearing a veil, they can't find her. And the other reason is because not all grooms had seen their brides before the wedding. And so he would unveil her to see her face for the first time. Hmm. And even if she's not that attractive at that point, he can't really get out of it. So we're really worried about (laughs) ghosts. And ugly women. Ugly women and people trying to run up the aisle and steal the bride. Or rescue her if she had been stolen by the groom. But the best man was there as basically a bodyguard. Yes. Okay. In some traditional cultures, yes. Special. Thank you for listening to this episode of Professed Hers, our podcast about seeing movies, culture, and history through our lady eyes. I'm Misty, and my wedding song was Forever in Blue Jeans. Of course it was. Hey, at least it wasn't Jimmy Buffett. And I'm Allegra, and our wedding song was I Choose You by Sarah Bareilles, which is a very beautiful song uh, that relates very specifically to our relationship. But also, I Choose You is what a Pokemon trainer says to his Pokemon. So, as previously stated, our wedding was about both of our interests. Good. (laughs) We'd love to hear from you what you thought about today's episode, what you'd like us to discuss in future episodes, or how great you think we are. To connect with us, you can follow us on Twitter at ProfessHers, P-R-O-F-E-S-S-H-E-R-S, or by email, same address, ProfessHers at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you to everyone who has been listening, commenting, liking, and reviewing our podcast. Please keep doing all those things, and we hope you recommend our podcast to a friend or spouse. And remember, throw all the bouquets you want and none of the ones you don't want. <laughs>